Playing politics, uh, partnership with the uh, Star Tribune and WCCO Radio. John Rash and Scott Gillespie from the Star Tribune. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. I want to start with the power of the president and his followers. A poll has come out among those who voted for Donald Trump. 86% of those do not believe Joe Biden legitimately won the election. John, that sums it up. The president's beliefs so far, in my view, with any basis of facts, I'm more than willing to listen to those when they come out. Nothing so far has emerged to the courts that seems legit. But even with that out there, even with many Republicans skeptical among those who voted for the president, 86% are saying Joe Biden has not legitimately won the election. The election dispute is likely to be over in just a few weeks, but it'll be years until this doesn't resonate in American politics. And the damage is distinct in terms of denigrating the belief in our democracy in terms of its fundamental core exercise elections and the how efficacious they actually are and the president among the many things that he has done during his administration undermining confidence in how we go about this is perhaps the one that's going to be most resonant and most deeply damaging i'll leave you with a quote here before we turn to scott New York Times spoke to officials in every state regarding their elections, and in none of them did anyone in an official capacity come forward and say that, yes, indeed, they believe that the election was tampered with, was fraught with problems, or was stolen, as has been alleged. And they, of course, spoke to leaders who were Republican and Democrat. Let's just take one quote from the Secretary of State from Ohio of a highly contested state who said, quote, there's a great human capacity for inventing things that aren't true about elections. The conspiracy theories and rumors and all those things run rampant, end quote. And that's exactly what's happening in this country in an era where conspiracy theories writ large from QAnon to others have run rampant. This one is perhaps the most damaging. Scott, before you chime in on this same point, this same poll, uh, just about the same percentage Right around 80% are saying also the president should not concede. I mean, we can make the comparison back to 2016. The president won in many states a very close race. We know that, talked about it a lot, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Those margins, including Michigan, the margin that Hillary Clinton lost in 2016 was about 10,000. Joe Biden leads by 150,000. Joe Biden would have to lose the lead in three different states to overturn this. But for the, the overwhelming majority of Trump voters, those facts at this point are irrelevant. That's right. And I think in uh, Pennsylvania, it looks like the Biden victory will be somewhere near 90,000, maybe 100,000 yep. votes when they're all counted. Uh, you know, obviously a far greater margin than what uh, President Trump recorded over Hillary Clinton in 2016. The other thing, well, another part of the survey you talked about, 
Chad, was 73% of Trump voters said we'll never know the real outcome of this election. So that just means we can get through recounts, lawsuits, certification, and 73% apparently will still not believe the outcome of the election at that point. That's remarkable to me. You also have today uh, Ivanka Trump retweeting that when the election has been called for Alaska, of course, by a media outlet, and they're touting it, but when it's other states and media outlets have called it for Joe Biden, who says the media can do this? So the hypocrisy is out there. John, you you spend so much of your time talking about uh, international uh, politics and how it weaves within the United States of America. Yesterday, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, was asked a simple question. Is the State Department right now, or are you willing to work with the Biden team? And he was just dismissive and said there will be a smooth transition to the second term of Donald Trump. What does that say to the rest of the world about what is taking place in our country right now? It's the type of thing that a normal secretary of state would criticize in another country when they had democratic elections, when their top diplomat, foreign minister, secretary of state or equivalent would have said something like that. Diplomats by design and by tradition, particularly in this country, are supposed to stay above the domestic political fray. And that's anyone from Republican Colin Powell to a Democrat who may happen to be in office when something like this is happening. And so that was a deeply disingenuous comment that Secretary Pompeo made and deeply damaging in many ways and shows that he's thinking about his 2024 electoral prospects in the same way that President Trump clearly is thinking about them as well. And I think among the most interesting developments this week is that he has hinted if indeed he does lose. He's told some close associates he may plan to run again in 2024. If he were to announce such a plan or clearly telegraph it, it would freeze the field. He's the type of leader who would put potential rivals on the spot immediately, whether they supported him or not. And you may already have as close to a de facto 2024 candidate or nominee as possible. And that changes the dynamic in terms of how far Republicans are willing to work with a President Biden. That's the other last quick point I'll make is that Mm -hmm. All of this sends a president-elect Biden into the office, despite what will look like an extraordinary result. Let's not forget, he may have slightly higher percentage uh, of a cha- as a challenger than Ronald Reagan did in 1980 in terms of the percentage of popular vote. But he certainly is not going to be ushered in with the same seemingly mandated uh, result that President Reagan had. It'll be much more where he's coming off this controversy, that hurts a President Biden. And I think many could argue that hurts the country because we need a strong leader at all times, be it Republican or Democrat. Scott, John makes a number of good points. Uh, right now, Joe Biden is slightly ahead of Reagan in 80. Right now, Biden has the highest percentage of an individual trying to unseat the incumbent since Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1932. When people are encouraged to support the president to give money um, to help see if there's election fraud, most of that money is going to the PAC, 
that the president is starting, it's clear the overwhelming number of Republicans will not acknowledge Joe Biden as president-elect because they're fearful of the power of the president and his supporters. And as John said, Scott, if if Trump looks at that, I've said for a while, I expect him to run in 2024. I, I really do. Now, who knows what's going to happen? Does he get his television network? What happens legally? But because he's going to loom out there so prominently, Scott, there are going to be so many Republicans who are fearful of working with Joe Biden, acknowledging Joe Biden. So this idea that Biden can be the old Biden and work together with McConnell and others, as of now, I don't see how that happens, and that should be depressing to all of us, no matter where you stand politically. Well, I don't think we could, uh, I don't think we're going to see it happen, that kind of collaboration on anything very significant, unfortunately. Uh, you know, we've seen this, some speculation that some of the Republican leadership calculation here is uh, directed toward the January Senate elections in Georgia. And, and those are incredibly important uh, uh, Senate elections. How, however, uh, you know, I just can't see after January 5th uh, established Republicans in high office. Uh, as you said, Chad, I can't see them. Uh, suddenly turning on, on Trump or ignoring him. Trump did, uh, you know, we're talking about Biden's popular vote totals. Trump also uh, set records for a number of votes for a presidential uh, candidate. But yeah. because we had such high turnout, obviously, uh, you know, Biden had a, a $5 million five million vote margin. But, you know, the president's uh, support is large and it's passionate and deep. So he took advantage of divisions when he took office in 2016. He's trying to, I think, cement them or widen them on his way out right now. Let's pause right here, come back and talk about Governor Walls, his decision and the political implications of that decision with greater restrictions with the COVID numbers jumping up dramatically, including 56 uh, dead, the announcement today, and a positivity rate right around 20%. Scott Gillespie, John Rash from the Star Tribune Editorial Board on CCO. 150 to- 152, excuse me, that is the Lindis Construction Time. Time to call for a free attic insulation inspection. Chad Hartman with Scott Gillespie and John Rash from the Star Tribune. John, yesterday... Uh, right about this time, a little past two, the governor announced fairly dramatic changes regarding number of individuals who can come to your home, three different households, including the house, up to 10 people, uh, bar time closings at 10, 50% capacity, talking about greater restrictions for big events from 50 down to 25, certainly has an effect on all aspects of the state. Let me ask you about the timing. This comes out um, a week after the election. Should the governor face fairly aggressive questions about that, saying if it mattered so much, did you wait until after the election so this did not have implications potentially to the detriment of your side? I certainly think it's always appropriate to ask aggressive questions of every office holder, including the governor of the state of Minnesota. And I think that that's a fair question. I think that the data does show 
that on a daily basis, including and tragically, especially today, with 56 deaths reported, a near doubling of the previous uh, rolling average and the highs that had been in the 30s, uh, I think that it perhaps sparked that that had as much, if not more, to do with his timing. And in terms of the political impact, I think that that was already there. And you look at the DFL's poor performance in greater Minnesota, many factors relating to that, certainly the aftermath of the George Floyd killing and the burning and looting on Lake Street in the third precinct, certainly the popularity of President Trump in a large swath of the state, but also a pushback against the governor and the relatively restrictive mandates that he had compared to neighboring states. And I think it's important to remember people in western Minnesota have a better sense of because of their media proximity as much as anything of what's happening in the Dakotas, people looking at what's happening in Iowa. And even though Wisconsin has a Democratic governor, the Republican legislature has been successful, backed by the Republican Supreme Court, in squelching the restrictions that he wanted to take to put in place here. So certainly I think that the degree that it hurt uh, the DFL politically, that was already prominent. And, you know, yes, it's okay to, to ask about it, but um, let's just hope that he is making decisions as he has promised, based on science and the efficacy of, of the movements as opposed to political calculations. Scott, same question to you, and then on the aspect where the governor was pretty specific in his criticism of, of Governor Nome. Well, I think your, your question is a legitimate one, Chad, but I would ask another one, another question of the governor, and that is, what, why not more significant restrictions right now? So is that political? Uh, he's now seen election results, which give him an indication of how the measures that he's implemented so far have played in uh, greater Minnesota, not particularly well, I might add. And he's launching now a re-election bid. Uh, how political is his decision to not shut down bars and restaurants again, but rather to limit the hours and, and the uh, number of people who, who can go in them. I don't get the 10 p.m. closing time for a bar and how that's significantly going to change our COVID trajectory. So what if I go to the bar a couple hours early? I'm less likely to get uh, right. infected. I mean, it, so I wonder, yes, about the timing uh, of these uh, steps. I'm also wondering whether these steps would be uh, more significant and, and uh, uh, if the governor weren't looking at the politics going forward. How about that point, John? I certainly think Scott makes a very good point. And, you know, I, there are differing degrees of how one can respond. And I think that you look at Asian nations or European ones, and, and they're aghast at how lax our country has been and how it's run rampant through the United States. And, of course, they're really struggling, particularly in Western Europe as well. And you look at the U.K. and with a much more draconian lockdown. Scott's quite right. Prime Minister Johnson didn't say the pubs are going to close at 10 o'clock. He said the pubs are going to close because we have this kind of spread. And I think that the term that's been lost, which is quite striking to me, is flattening the curve. And you look at you know our reporting today on this issue saying that there are only 22 
ICU beds available in the metro area as of yesterday. And we've all heard reports, particularly out of North Dakota, where it's incredibly difficult to get any kind of a hospital bed, and they're sending people out of state, COVID patients, of course, but also all the other kind of medical, surgical, or emergency situations that arise that need that necessitate hospitalization. And so I think that there's a real legitimate concern that should increase the alacrity of, of every Minnesotan and certainly all elected officials that we're going to run into a similar situation and we're going to run out of places to be able to send these individuals. And, you know, when you just listen to Dr. Michael Olsterholm and, and many others, you know, and he has, of course, talked about the very dark winter, you know, that, that we face here. And, and you know, this is a much graver situation in many ways than it was last March when we had much more unity as John. a society about what we yep. need to do. I got to jump in. We're up against the hard clock. Thank you so much. I appreciate the uh, time, John and Scott from the Star Tribune.